My name is Soen Park, and I'm the host of Stereo for Ballet. This podcast is designed to highlight the diversity problem in the ballet world and illustrate experiences from students, guests, and experts, and inspire people to advocate to limit racism in ballet and the arts. Let's get started. Welcome to an episode of Stereo for Ballet podcast. I'm very excited about our guest today. Her name is Veronique Breen, and she was my amazing ballet and contemporary teacher at Valentina School of Ballet. She studied and danced professionally in Europe for over 20 years, including seven years with the Dutch National Ballet in Amsterdam. And she's currently offering gyrotonic and gyrokinesis training in Michigan, which incorporates principles of movement she mastered during her dance career as well as injury prevention principles she learned with massage therapy. In the episode, Ms. Veronique is incredibly open to her experiences in her dance journey and also shares tips and insights about how to move on from the embedded image and expectation of ballet. Ms. Veronique is such an inspiring person and I'm honored to share our conversation with you all. Hello, Ms. Veronique. I know you have been dancing professionally in Europe for over 20 years and seven years of that you were with the Dutch National Ballet. When did you actually start to dance and what was your journey until dancing professionally? When did I start dancing? My very first ballet class, I think I was seven and a half, almost eight years old. Mainly, uh, I mean, it's a little bit of a side story and I don't know, there's a day during class where I did mention a little bit about my history. Um, I am adopted. Um, and when I was two and a half, I was too scared to look in people's eyes. I was scared of everybody. Basically, I had not been introduced to people in general. So everything that was social was a huge stress. And my parents tried to put me into Girl Scout. <laughs> you know, sometimes be born a certain way. I think I was born princess. Me and Mud. Mm. So I came back from a Girl Scout weekend. All my friends were like this, you know, the hair messy and sweaty and they had like rolling. Yeah, no, not me. I was just, and so it just wasn't my thing. Like I was going because I had to. Um, and so my sister had done some ballet. She's like, well, you know, she's old enough. Why don't we send her to a little once a week? On Wednesdays, we're done with school earlier so I could go take my classes. And I went in there and I remember my teacher, I've been in touch with her all the way until now. She just passed last year. She would make us do our little stretch, you know, the butterfly stretch. Everybody's really up there. I'm like, oh, this is a weird thing. And then we relax and she goes, you know, she goes like, and stop. And I'm like, my knees fall down. She goes, you, why are you not doing this like this all the time? <laughs> and that was already like a little sign that I was lucky. I, I am hypermobile. So I did have a body that was uh, comfortable with dance. Mm-hmm. And so slowly she pushed me to, instead of doing once a week, to do twice a week, three times a week. And then... Uh, when I was like nine and 10 years old, she was like, oh, instead of doing one level, take more classes, take the lower level and the top level. So I would do three hours in a row and I would go almost every day. And then when it was time to switch, um, in Europe, you have six years of elementary school and then six years of high school. 
Um, so when it's time to switch to high school, she's like, well, there's this professional dance school in Antwerp. So that's like an hour away from where I'm living. And they have auditions. So if you're interested in becoming a dancer, that would be the step to do. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I didn't even question it. Um, so I did this big audition and it was, it was weird. Like, you know, you're getting measured everywhere, even like the, the circle of your head, uh, the size of your torso, your flexibility and everything. Uh, and I got in. So I moved from home and I was in the dorms and I had to speak a different language. Uh, I spoke French at home, but that part of Belgium, we speak uh, Flemish, which is like Dutch. So all my courses, everything that I was learning in one language was now, everything was in Flemish. Uh, so thanks goodness, ballet is created in French, so that I understood. Um, but everything else, the first six months, I cried a lot. Yeah, that must have been Like, hard. you know, you're 11 years old. I was, I'm also like a year uh, ahead. Like I finished high school when I was 17. I went for it. <laughs> so you've been in this ballet school. There must have been some kind of spark. What inspired or motivated you to be a dancer? It's almost, well, okay, I've been very lucky. Um, you know, after a certain amount of time, there's certain things that you live and you kind of take them for granted because they're part of your everyday life. And then it's when you step away or you live with other people, you start realizing, wow, not everybody gets this. My, my mom, uh, she was a secretary nothing you know artistic um she likes sewing my dad uh was a basketball player and a chemist uh so again like nothing but they had an interest in theater they had an interest um uh when they were young and uh, dating the the jazz was really big in belgium like all the american jazz players would come to belgium actually to brussels to play in those little tea parties and so they would go to all of those and that was their way of getting to know each other and so they continued that through and um, once a month we would go to the theater i have an aunt uh she's japanese and she's first violinist so she would play with the monet theater in brussels she was uh playing there uh and then she would play in japan with the emperor sanchez she had a quatuor so we were intrigued by the whole music at the time beja was in brussels so i had the chance of going to see his performances uh mark maurice was in brussels i saw his interesting performances um there there's a lot more happening in europe when it comes to arts because it's supported by the government yeah. um, my brother became an actor he has his own theater company uh, his own school system of theater and acting so i've always been in that world it was normal to have a certain part of your life that's culture to go visit museums, to go, you know, I went to Spain and I went to different countries and each time you visit a museum, I saw Salvatore Dali's house, Ruben's house was next to my school. Those things were normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every time I go somewhere, my parents force me to go to museums to look at the art. And to be honest, I think it benefited me a lot. I'm not saying that I enjoyed every museum I went to. Like there was an overload of museums. At some point I was like, okay, can I do something else? 
But at the same time, now as an adult, like you see a picture, like, oh yeah, that's Monet, or oh, that's Van Gogh, or like, oh yeah, I saw that house, or you know the history, or you can start connecting the dots. And so as a dancer, you have to often play with different images, play with different characters. And if you've never seen those paintings, you don't know how to, you know, what is the difference between Salvatore Dali and Picasso? There's so many kids that have no idea. Like, how would you represent that into a dance mode? Where was that spark? I don't know. I think it was just, for me, it was meant to be. It was my comfort. I, I didn't have to speak. I could express myself. So there was a certain release of things that I needed to say that I couldn't say. Um, you can be anybody you want to be. You can act and there is no reprimand for acting a certain way so it was my way out it was my way of expressing things that i felt deep inside that i couldn't say so it was, if people ask me do you want to be a dancer i'm like oh there's not something else i should be like to me it was normal that was meant it was yeah that's my path <laughs> Like, is that even a question? Exactly. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what you want to be when you're 17? I was already working. <laughs> yeah. So I know you've been with Dutch National Ballet and several other amazing companies. What other companies have you been with along with Dutch National Ballet? And how long have you been in each? So it's funny because people see like, you know, the Dutch National is the biggest company that I was with. And of course, if you even look at pictures of how I was in school, I was the first one in my class. I always had 96% in ballet class exam. Um, yet I was one of the last ones to get a job. Um, so, you know, to go a little bit already about like, how does it work in the dance community and uh, the things that are not fair, when you go for big auditions, you can look the part, you can have the technique, you still maybe not exactly what they're looking for. Um, and so I had a lot of those. I was very tall, right? I'm 5'9". I'm, I'm um, so that doesn't really fit in many companies. Like most quarter ballets are shorter. So that was one of the first issues that many smaller companies in France were not looking for somebody like me. And then I came from Belgium. I wasn't French. You go to France for audition, they're going to take the French first. I have a very white skin and very dark hair. And sometimes they wanted a blonde. So all of those things made it that actually I didn't get the job. It's by luck that my school was invited to a big festival. And there, there was an audition for a very small company called Le Jeune Ballet de France. And that's um, based in Paris, it no longer exists, they closed it. Um, but it's basically like now you have a lot of those big companies that have uh, youth companies or stagiaire companies, or uh, like the Dutch National has one of those, uh, Belgium has one also, just as a preparation towards becoming a real professional. So we were in Paris. Um, I was 17. I moved all by myself with a big bag and a sleeping bag. Um, my parents were on vacation <laughs> when I got the job. Oops. And uh, I danced with that company for one year. That's, you just get a one-year contract, but you travel. And that allowed me to be exposed to the most amazing 
contemporary choreographers from Paris, from France in general, but also from China, from Venezuela, from Cuba, from Norway, from all the countries that we went to and we would do a um, workup, um, like a workshop uh, month. So we would bring our own choreographer, learn something with the school over there. And they had a choreographer and they would choreograph something from us too. And then we would bring all of that at the end of the year, go back to that same festival and dance internationally with all those schools and kind of bring the arts together didn't matter where you came wow. from. That sounds amazing. It was it was really I mean it was intense, uh, totally underpaid. Um excuse my French but treated like shit. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Um you know if you were showing any signs of tiredness, I think my director told me many times, well you know if you think it's easier you can go work with McDonald's. I think they hire. Um <laughs> You know, you, you go, 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 go. The, the rehearsal wasn't good enough at the end of the show. We rehearsed until one in the morning because the chorus line wasn't perfect. And you just do it because you're 17, 18, and you're hungry for that job, for that dream, for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then funny enough, when we did the second festival, the director of the Royal Ballet of Flanders, where I was in school, and he refused to take me in the company because I was too fat at 105 pounds, and I was too much of a baby at the time. And so he is now an invited guest for that um, festival, and he's teaching us a class, and he goes to my director at the time and says, who is that girl? My director goes, she is from your country. She's from your school. Don't you remember her? No, that's not. He did not recognize me because I had improved so much working with all those different choreographers. I had a very different, like things were created on me that brings a certain boost to your um, way of moving. And so he hired me. Um, and I went to the Royal Ballet of Flanders for two years. I was stuck in the court of ballet because I was the tallest of the entire company. Um, I didn't like it there. It was not, it was not my dream place. Like I always wanted to go to the Dutch National and every year I would spend a whole week in Amsterdam to go take the class with the company. And every year you would tell me, you're a baby, come back when you have better technique, come back where you have more of everything. And I went every year to show myself. And then eventually that third year, I got my contract as an elève, which is the lowest rank possible. <laughs> you don't even get taxes taken. Um, and I spent nine years almost with the Dutch National. That's a long time. Yep. <laughs> and that, those are the only companies I went to. I did audition for different places. Um, at the end of the, the, my career in, in Amsterdam, I was considering moving to a smaller company, something more contemporary to be taken just as a person and not just one of the quarter ballet slash soloist and fitting in every little spot because it was convenient. But then I got injured and that injury was the end of my career. Was it the knee injury? Yeah. So I know you've mentioned a lot of experiences, but... Is there one moment that was really significant to you? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, the most 
like in which way like what are you because there's many so memorable in the way of a career experience or in the way of positive negative yeah, like anything um you know something that really stuck with you i think the most amazing moment i've had on stage and that has stayed with me and has been like my favorite piece to dance was artifact i had been with the company for a while and i was chosen to be uh, i don't know if you're familiar with the the work from william forsyth um, artifact is a four act ballet when it's done in full most companies just do the pavaders with a little bit of quarter ballet but they skip a lot of it because you need a huge stage to make it happen um so you have uh, a bunch of duet soloists and then you have 40 dancers quarter ballet and then you have this one the only person that doesn't have point shoes on the mud woman and i got the amazing opportunity to be that person and the entire you are on stage for three out of the four acts everything is improvisation from start to finish you get movement to use and choose from but nothing is choreographed you start before the audience is actually sitting down and you're already walking on stage with super slow motion steps all with improvisation arms which i've made you guys play with and then the moment that was really hard to control, the very first time I did it on stage, rehearsal was, you know, you, you there, there's mirrors, there, there's never that, that deep, dark hole in front of you. And there's this moment where I have my back to the public and it's the beautiful classical music, 40 dancers in front of me. And all 40 dancers have to follow what I am deciding to do at that moment. And as silly as it is to just do 40 people following you guys, there's such a power. And when you think of what's happening in the world, that power, that one person that can guide that army of dancers, I almost started crying on stage. It was just so, that that was the most amazing mm. moment. That sounds, does everyone starts dancing when you start dancing? Is Like, you know, you do that first arm and you boom, that whole, stage is having that exact same motion to have that realization of power that's one thing but also how beautiful it was so that that was one of the most powerful moments on stage as, as simple as just doing a photograph <laughs> yeah um so i always wanted to know this but how was life and routine like as a professional ballet dancer uh, now, don't forget, I'm a lucky one. I danced in Europe where we do have a union and we do have a little bit of protection when it comes to schedule, etc. We have a pretty good system. So we never start ballet class before 10 a.m. because the shows go on until very late. So you, you, you wake up in the morning, you get yourself put together, you go to the uh, theater and it is it's fun because most people only enter a theater through the big front doors. We get to use that back door and the guy at the back door, they know you and they buzz you in and it's like, hey, how you doing? Like there's this like backstage. It's 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 that's something I miss, like like having all those connections backstage. And then you, you go, you get yourself um, into your outfits, you have your own little place in your dressing room, and that's your place for the time you're gonna be in the company. So pictures and it's a mess, there's tutus everywhere. 
Um, and then you have your um, most often an hour and a half minimum. Most often we had a two hour and 15 minute class. And then you have a 15 minute break and you start rehearsals. Every week you get the new schedule pretty much for the week, but we were pretty fancy. We had like screens already and things could change and we had different studios. Uh, so the court of ballet rehearses in a bigger studio and then at the same time you have other rehearsals for solo stuff. We always had the choice between two classes, so if you didn't want to have a specific teacher, you could go take the class with the other teacher. I would choose my class by pianist, not so much. We had great teachers, but I had my favorite pianist, Olga. She could play anything, so if she was playing, I was taking that class. <laughs> um, and you know basically you are in your leotard all day you have goofy scarf and things to keep you warm we had a room to go warm up and stretch and a little workout room we had a um a green room we call it where you had couch we could just relax we had a physical therapist and a massage therapist on site you could go write your name quickly oh i, have, I don't have rehearsal at one o'clock let me go put my name for a little massage in between the whole company is in the theater in the main theater of of, of amsterdam so there's a big cafeteria where they make healthy lunches you can go downstairs you can go have your cup of coffee you come back and so you spend your 10 to 6 p.m. every day at the theater. On Saturday, sometimes you're done a little earlier, but if there are more rehearsals and more shows, you're there seven days a week. Um, most of the time, you get the first week when the season starts to just get yourself put back together, which is mainly classes. Then they start rehearsals. You get one month of rehearsal before the first show. Once the premiere is happening, that same day, pretty much the next day, you start rehearsing the next show. Um, and so it goes on. So you could be, I mean, I've had moments, and that is one of the reasons that eventually the body gets tired. That's how I got injured eventually, is that I was dancing uh, a Martha Graham piece, which is a total different technique and very, very hard on the body. That was another thing I was very, very lucky. We danced five of the ballets for Martha Graham, and I had the chance of dancing at the age of 22. Lamentations, where you're all by yourself on stage with a bench and a pianist, that's it. So having that that entire audience just to yourself is, is pretty, you know, you can be a soloist, but you still have a quarter ballet behind you. You're not just you, that one spotlight. But but yeah, so there's, there's a lot of, you do Marta Graham and then you rehearse Swan Lake, quarter ballet, or you have a, a Dadju Hammer clavier from another choreographer at some point, and so you go from barefoot to point shoes to loose hair to buns to French twist to name it. But and then the shows when you have, uh, so then you finish at a certain, uh, you finish at four or five o'clock, you get uh, a little break to go have dinner and then the show starts at eight. So around 6.30, you start putting yourself together. You have to do your own makeup, your own hair, unless you have a, a more fancy, like if you're a special character, like I have to play the role of a mom in Onegin. I needed like some, wrinkles um so then you have a makeup artist that's doing that for you if you need wigs also we had all of those things but um otherwise no you have to be capable it's expected from a dancer to be able to do pretty much everything from hair makeup point shoes wow that's just 
in the theater the whole time, basically. You you live yeah, it's your it's your it's partially your home. Um, you live in there for many many hours. You you live with those people with those other dancers a lot. So it's it's uh, it can be draining emotionally. Uh, you make amazing friends, but you also make amazing enemies. Because at the end of the day, what does matter is who's going to be on stage. It's a fight. I mean, like, you know, it's a competition. Without being a competition, when you, you win the prize of getting the title or getting the piece or getting the choreography to be, to be first cast, that's the prize. During your professional career or even before that when you were training, have you seen or witnessed any kind of racism or discrimination? I was, I was talking to a friend of mine about that. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the super white girl here. And coming from Europe and having danced in Paris, where in history, that's where ballet was created, there's a certain expectation, a certain image that a ballerina has to be. So being the white girl, did I realize from the start that there were things that were not normal or not fair? No, it seemed to be that that was what was expected, a white ballerina, you know, what else did it, did it need to be? But coming from a family where we had kids from every nationality is coming into my house, um, my parents would tutor them or mentor them, uh, kids that didn't have parents would come and just spend the holiday with me. I never really thought of it as being weird. That was the norm. It's only when we did Swan Lake with the Dutch National and it was required to wear white pancake on our skin. Now, I am white. I'm like, you want me more white? <laughs> you know, that was my... And then my friend, Monique, she's black. And she's like, if I put white pancake, I turn gray. And she, she got really, really upset. And I'm like, yeah, why do we have to wear pancake? Like, can we just be our own skin color? And that's where I started realizing ballet has had that image that it wasn't created for other colors, that it was a certain class. It was the royalty that was allowed to do it. There was a certain normalness to all of that. But as we go through the changes, it should follow those changes and it hasn't it's 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 finally now we get black ponchos yeah i can't believe that and but you know i can't like no the pink ponchos are not the right color either i'm sorry i'm white i'm not pink so my tights were a certain color i still had to pancake my ponchos i never used the satin as they are because who wants shiny shoes like that honestly like nobody so we, we always put something on our shoes so the preparation of point shoes to me at first was just, oh, well, I do it too to make them my skin color. But it was so much more work to make it a different skin color. That it was for somebody Asian, for somebody Black, for somebody of, of any ethnicity. It was not inclusive. So, yeah, uh, eventually she sued the company because she did not agree. And at some point, the director said, if you refuse to put pancake on your skin, you will not be one of the swans. That was pure discrimination. What happened after that? We did not put pancake on our skin. <laughs> oh. That's, yeah, a wise decision. I think for those companies, it's just the best to leave. And, you know, again, like, there, there is more to discrimination than just racism when it comes to the dance world. Uh, being a woman, being part of the Me Too, if you're aware of that, mm -hmm. there's a lot of that. 
um, being a certain size, being treated for being fat or not fat, having boobs or no boobs. Um, there's a lot of that. Um, it's not like even in dance, a male soloist will earn more money than a female soloist because there's not as many guys. There's plenty of women to choose from, not as many guys. So they want to attract the good dancer, they're going to give him more money. It's not fair, but that's still in every job. That's the reality. And in dance, we're not skipping that. So we talked about racism and discrimination, but have you seen any lack of diversity in the ballet world or your journey? See, that's where I danced in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. That is the city of everything where being gay is actually good. There is pride into being different. You can walk on the street. I mean, there was a guy in a G-string just going on his roller skates and it was normal. It's, it's, it's a country where it's controlled, but everything is allowed to be okay. So the Dutch national was actually known to have women as dancers, not sticks. So being a real woman, a tall, beautiful woman was okay. Having shapes was okay I mean, to a certain point. But like if you compare to some of the French companies or even the Royal Bell of Flanders, there was already when I arrived there, long time ago, um, <laughs> there was diversity. There were many different sciences, many different, uh, uh, it's international. I'm not saying that there were that many black skin girl or boys. There was still, but Holland has the colony of um, uh, Curaçao and uh, a lot of people are darker skin. So that was, there was more. If I compare that company to Belgium, there was more, more diversity. If you go to companies that are auditioned in France, in Nice, no, actually, the diversity would have been to be me because I had dark hair, everybody else was blonde, I think. <laughs> but, but yes, there, I mean, but there are companies that, like, Ballet Hispanico, they only want a certain style. Like, you, you're weird when you're not Hispanic looking. Or Alvin Ailey, there's one white guy, he's amazing, but it's a little weird to see the white guy in the middle. We don't mix and match enough yet, no. This is kind of a general question, but what gives you hope during these times um, in the ballet world or, you know, just in general? <laughs> oh, gosh, that's, a, that's a, like you ask me this now and like, you know, I feel like, I mean, if we don't have hope, what's the point? Um, I hope that there is more people like you that open up a path, that have the courage to ask the questions. That I hope that there's more people like Christy Copland are going to open up a path to be different, be amazing at being different. There are more choreographers open to creating for different type of people, um, including I have a friend that's not creating dance for dancers in wheelchairs. So yeah, I think the arts in general has always have an interest in the differences. It's what we do with it. It's who is giving the money that's going to make also the difference of allowing certain things to happen. There is movement, there is stuff happening 
of course, now with this craziness of COVID, it slows things down. It's going to make it much harder for us to survive financially. I always say to dancers, if you want to be a dancer in America, have a plan B. You're not going to make enough money if you don't make it to the top directly. You're lucky when you make $2,000 a month. That's not a lot at all. Try to live in New York with that. Like rent, maybe. That's your rent. That's it. You got one apartment and that's it. So, yeah, it's not... You don't make a ton of money being a dancer. You survive being... If you would really be paid per hour on the amount of work, we would need to be millionaires. So we do it for the love and the passion, but when it comes to the hard work and the sweat and the tears and the blood, we're not getting paid enough. Yeah, that needs to change. That needs to change, yeah. There needs to be a... a when you see how much they charge for tickets, we don't see that money. We, we don't see that. As an artist, you don't see that money. I mean, like, yeah, I know some soloists, there are certain, like, the best paid company, and I'm talking, like, a long time ago, was Zurich, Switzerland. They would get $14,000 a month. Mm -hmm. That's a really good salary. That's the only company in the world that pays you that well. In America, you get paid for the months that you're in the studio. So when you have summer vacation, you're not paid. So when you don't have shows, you don't get paid. That means you need to have a side job. Many dancers are bartenders or cleaning ladies or have like a mentoring something or they're teaching. Lastly, as a former professional dancer, current teacher, and guard sounding master trainer, and gyrokinesis pre-trainer and instructor, do you have any tips for young dancers in order to make the ballet world more inclusive, representative, and a safe place? I, I think there is one thing that needs to change when it comes to being a teacher, because that's where it starts. Right? It's the teacher that's going to attract that little girl that's going to have that dream of being the dancer in the ballerina. Don't break that dream too soon. And it's not because somebody is not perfect at technique that you have to break that dream and tell them that they can't go and they can't do. Because taking a dance class might actually have nothing to do with becoming a dancer. It will have everything to do with giving you the presence, giving you the smarts, You've heard me say that. What does ballet do to our brain? It makes you work both sides of the brain. That you like it or not, you do it. You have music, you have counts, and you're moving your body. And then you have artistry. So you work every ounce of your being. That is creating smart people that can think for themselves. And with that, you can be anything you want. The fact is, with my background, people ask me, what degrees do you have? High school. I have a high school diploma. That's it. Yes, now I have other certification as an instructor of different techniques, but if I really go with what did I go to school for? High school. However, the amount of years that I've been a dancer professionally, that's dedication, that's hard work, that is sweat. That allowed me to be paid more as a teacher. My first job as a dance teacher was in the high school. I got paid grade four teacher instead of grade one because every four years in a professional company has the value of one year of university let's face it if i know dance i know dance i've lived it i i slept in it sometimes so it's it's in your blood it's on your it's 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 in you you're not removing even if i don't teach it for 10 years i will never forget how to dance so if there is something that I can bring, even if it's to you, 
What you've learned in my classes, it's not just dance, it's life skills. It's how to survive, how to keep a straight face when the person in front of you is making you feel the smallest. How would you become a teacher? Would you do the same stuff as some of your teachers? Or would you try to change that to make that kid in front of you not feel the way you did? Make them want to do more. Make them want to teach somebody else. Pass the message. That was really meaningful. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Veronique, for sharing your experiences. And I know you're really busy, so I really appreciate your time. You're welcome, sweetie. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We have exciting news for you. Our STEP program that gives free online ballet classes to children, especially who can't afford it, is going to be available in September 2020. If you're interested in being interviewed for our next few podcasts, and if you're a dancer, please fill out a form in our podcast section in our website, www.stairwayforballet.wixsite.com slash P-A-R-K-S-O-E-U-N. To keep up with our social medias, check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.